That's Song of Songs, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Song of Songs is right after Ecclesiastes in the Bible, right before Isaiah. And we'll start with our key verse this morning, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Song of Songs, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. I remember well the first time I realized just how much I loved my then friend, now husband, back in the back. We were standing outside his house And as he played with his young sisters, I was overwhelmed with the realization that I loved him. It was not long after that we were married and our love for each other has grown since then. And I'll never forget, though, the way my mom responded when I told her I was marrying Tom. I had expected her to be surprised since I had been dating someone else. She wasn't. I expected her to be dismissive. She wasn't. In fact, she said that it was about time I recognized what the rest of the family had figured out sometime earlier that Tom mattered more to me than the other boy possibly could. How did they know? Because Tom was all I talked about. I would love to think that if I were uh, poetic enough, I could have turned around and written something like the Song of Songs to kind of capture that feeling, but I'm pretty sure I would not have been able to do as well on this um, particular passage, but especially because the Song of Songs is a book that is love poetry, it is romantic love poetry. The first verse starts out, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. It's beautiful. And this book is actually meant for a man and a woman who are in love. It's meant for lovers. But it is also a picture of the love that God has for us. And it tells us a few different things about how we can understand God's love for us. It reminds us first that God's love for us is best seen in the picture of a couple in love. As people fall in love with each other and wrap their stories around each other, this love of a couple, when perfectly expressed, is the love that God has for us. God's love is unconditional. It takes us as we are. It enjoys the beauty of who each of us is. The identifying characteristics of us 
are beautiful to the one who loves us. And one of the unique things about scripture overall, not just in this particular book, but in other places throughout scripture, is how often intimate relationships are used to explain our relationship with God. When we walk away from God, it is shown in scripture as infidelity or adultery. If you read some of the passages in the prophets, which we're getting to, you'll see how over and over God calls Israel it's his unfaithful bride. But when we stay close and walk in harmony with God, it is shown as a picture of beautiful marriage. The church as a universal group, big C church, is the bride of Christ. It is always this love picture that we have of our relationship with God, not just one-on-one, but as a collective, we are loved by God in community and individually as God's beloved. Nothing can rip through a family so starkly and harshly as infidelity can. When one person has been unfaithful in a marriage, it hurts and ruins and rips apart what was intended. By the way, infidelity doesn't have to be sex. Infidelity can be all kinds of things that take the person one of the people in the relationship away from the other. It can be dismissiveness. It can be being a workaholic. It can be argumentativeness. There are any number of ways someone can be unfaithful to the person they have married. And usually, sexual infidelity is the last symptom of a long-time disease of hurt and betrayal and mistrust that has been affecting a marriage in subtle and less obvious ways. But when marriage partners are faithful to one another, it looks like this couple in Iowa who were married for some 80 years and died within hours of each other holding hands as they did. It looks like a couple who parents together, cleans house together, loves each other even as appearances change, as responsibilities evolve, as priorities and jobs and challenges appear and disappear and reorder themselves. These are two who are committed to tackling these things as one and who continue to do so day in and day out. The message of Song of Songs is one that says that God's love for us is like a beautiful marriage one that lasts, and one that partners, and one that none of us probably actually know, except in love poems and romantic comedy movies. We get close. But I don't know of anyone who has a perfect marriage. Just saying. Even ours is really good, but perfection is maybe not necessarily what it is. God's love is a picture of love that wraps itself in the wonder of the other and longs to hold them and draw them close. 
And this Song of Songs also talks about bodies and loves the body of the one they sing about, the physical flesh. We often have a broken view of bodies. We tend to objectify bodies, to turn women's bodies into something to be ogled at and men's bodies into something to be drooled over, all the while disconnecting the woman and the man they represent from the physical attributes. Cute butt, nice pecs, gorgeous face, lovely muscles. And all of those may be true, but it removes the humanity of the person from the skin and bone of their flesh. Don't get me wrong. God said from the beginning that what was created was good, including the bodies of dust made for us to wear. We are definitely body and spirit, but neither is better or worse than the other. They are created together as components to our whole selves. God has promised that after death, although our present physical body is no longer At the resurrection, we will receive new ones, perfect ones, but bodies nonetheless. So then it is not acceptable for us to wrap our bodies in shame or distress either. We cover ourselves to keep our bodies safe and warm, and we don't necessarily have to expose all of us to everyone we meet. But our bodies shouldn't be viewed as shameful or sinful either. They are part of God's good creation. They are good. It was the fall that made us think they were sinful. Adam and Eve didn't put clothes on until they ate the fruit. Then they were hiding themselves. Those who have been redeemed and who know God Know that God delights in wholeness for us as new creations in Christ. Our bodies are good again. Good for us and good to us. One of the heresies that the early church dealt with, not many years after Christ died and was resurrected, was Gnosticism. And part of Gnosticism was this idea that Jesus wasn't really a body. He didn't really have flesh the way that we understand flesh. Instead, he was a spirit that we couldn't really understand, and there were secret things that we needed to know to understand who Jesus was. But none of that was who Jesus said he was. None of that is how Jesus was to the people who interacted with him. None of that, in fact, makes any sense if our remembrance of Jesus is by taking in his body. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. Not his special spirit self, but his actual body. Bodies are not bad things. Bodies are our physical mark in the world, and they are beautiful. No matter what they look like, no matter what color they are, no matter what imperfections they have. God declared our bodies good from the start, and though sin tried to ruin it, God redeemed us through a body, the body of Jesus. God loves our bodies. 
And it is time we loved our bodies for the wonderful creation they are. We are crafted by God to be beautiful and to love each other. Sometimes that love looks like romantic love, and sometimes that love looks like kindness and warmth, and sometimes that love looks like discipline. We see love defined for us many different ways in Scripture. We can see it written out for us in all kinds of places, the way that God's love looks. But in Song of Songs, God reminds us that God loves us for who we are, for what we look like, and that our love together, our love with God, is like a marriage of faithfulness and intimacy. Human marriages are known to be fraught with imperfection, so they are just a snippet of what it looks like to be loved by God. And the pictures in Song of Songs are given us so we can see the love picture more completely, whether we are married or not. Love yearns for the other. Love stands strong. Love protects. Love invites and encourages close touch and weathers the storm together. Love is present. Love is here. Love is knowing God and being known by God. And we have the expectation of both. And in Song of Songs, we see 117 verses that tell us over and over again that the love of God for us is not just an idea or a concept, but it's something we can wrap our arms around. And it is beautiful. As we have been doing every week in this series, I will remind you of what it looks like to say that the love of God is found in every page of Scripture. What does it mean to say God loves? God loved us enough to create us, to form us from the dust. God loved us enough to let us fail, to let us choose our own way over God's, to let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death. God loved us enough to provide a rescue, a way back, through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers. God loved us enough to show us mothers, judges, kings, and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. God loved us enough to show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. God loved us enough to send us Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. God loved us enough to see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. God loved us enough to raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower us to live like Jesus. God loves us enough to want us to live like Jesus, an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, redeemed, free, loved. God loves us enough to still let us choose our own destiny. 
God loves us enough to promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead and judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always love us enough. For God so loved the world. God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. God's love is expressed to us every week most tangibly as we gather at this table. The son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come, drink the wine, eat the bread. Know you are loved. God loves you. Go, love the world with him.